Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 207 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki episode three, Lamentis, directed by Kate Heron, written by Bisha K. Ali. The head writer for the series is Michael Waldron. But before we get into all the spoilery details about this latest episode of Loki, just want to let you know where you can hear us talk about extra stuff and have exclusive podcasts over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, if I could spell my own name, or just hit the link in our show notes. And that is where you can access things like Patreon credit scenes, where we have extra podcasts that correspond with these main shows. So you will hear us in this episode talk a little bit about the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings trailer. But if you want to hear us talk even more about it, That'll be on the Patreon credit scene. We will also be debating the future of, or perhaps lamenting the future of physical media, since people have discovered this week that uh, Marvel movies will not, be, or not Marvel movies, Marvel Studios series, the Disney Plus series, may not be on physical media. Not that there was ever any expectation that there would be, but it sounds like that's not going to happen. We'll talk about that in the Patreon credit scene as well. And we have all other, all other types of exclusive podcasts highlighting marvelous moments in the MCU all of which you can find at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And part of the whole physical media conversation happened because of an Instagram live conversation uh, that people found if they were following us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram. And lastly, before we get started... If you have the time, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review, and you're enjoying the show. We would greatly appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to all of you who have taken the time to do so, but based on the amount of listeners we have on Apple Podcasts, there are more of you uh, who could put the time in, and we would really appreciate it if you leave us that rating and review. With all of that said, let's get on with our show. How's it going, Paul Herman? Well, I am doing very, very well. Uh, I, I I don't know if people saw this on social media, but uh, I love chaos and an- anarchy. So I decided to get a puppy am- amidst of having two other dogs and uh, a one-year-old. So uh, I must hate like life, and I love to be busy and just be chaotic all the time. So definitely hate free muddy. time. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I, by the way, I still managed to do two comic binge shows this week. I haven't released them yet, but they're recorded. So that should just tell you how crazy it was for me last week. So it's a little nutty, a little nutty, but yeah, I'm stoked to get a lot to talk about today. There's a lot to talk about. We really do. And for those of you listening, we are properly warmed up. Like we did, you know, the vocal <laughs> exercises in the green room for like 45 minutes talking about <laughs> Marvel stuff, talking about The Bad Batch, which you can hear me doing spoiler reviews for on Fanshow Plus, which is another Patreon exclusive, pardon the plug, but I did it intentionally, so I can't really say I'm sorry about it. So yeah, there's so much stuff to talk about right now. Such a huge week because we get a new episode of Loki on Wednesdays. And and thank you for your patience, by the way. I know the turnaround time is not quite as quick when these episodes drop on Wednesdays, uh, when the Disney Plus episodes drop on Wednesdays. Appreciate you uh, allowing us to put the time in that these episodes deserve uh, to go over them in full spoilery scene by scene detail as we like to do. So thank you for that. Um, I still wish these shows were being 
dropped on Fridays, but I digress. It's not going to happen. Wednesdays are the new Fridays for pretty much everything on Disney Plus for the time being. So this is just uh, what we'll be working with. But while we are going to save a lot of the conversation about the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings trailer for the Patreon credit scene, uh, we're not going to leave it entirely to that show. We are going to talk about it very briefly here before we start talking about episode three of Loki. I was not expecting a new Shang-Chi trailer, but then again, when Marvel announced it on Thursday morning, I thought it doesn't seem like it was that long since the yeah. first one, but it had already been a couple of months. That's just how much you know the year and the last couple of months have flown, uh, flown by. Certainly for me, I don't know, probably for you with everything you've yeah. got going on. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure for a lot of you listening as well. So I was like, oh, it's already been a couple of months. Now, normally it's have you would probably have more than a couple of months between Marvel trailers for the same movie. But remember, this one kind of started later in the process. Like the first trailer didn't even drop until I think it was like April 19th, which was less than five months from the debut of this movie in September. So they kind of have to make up for lost time. And also Marvel has a history of advertising uh, and doing trailer launches with the NBA playoffs. Remember the very first Black mm. Panther teaser a few years ago oh, yeah. was during the NBA playoffs. So, And that's when the, Shang, the Shang-Chi trailer debuted during an episode of NBA Countdown on ESPN, Disney owned, of course, uh, leading into uh, the Clippers and Suns game for the NBA Western Conference Finals. So not totally outside the norm to get the trailer dropped then. But regardless of the reasons why, I'm so glad they put out this trailer this week because it was awesome. Mm -hmm. I loved this trailer so, so much that mm -hmm. I was already madly in love with it before they threw Abomination in at the end. So <laughs> this trailer was already one of the coolest and, and best and one of my favorite MCU trailers in recent memory. Mm. I don't know, like it's a longer conversation or going back and looking at trailers and remembering, but... I can't yeah. remember liking a trailer more than this one in a while. And that's not to knock other MCU trailers. I generally sure. love them, as you all well know. But <laughs> I really liked this one. I just felt it was yeah. so cool and fun and electric. The action looked great. The character stuff looked great. Tony Lung as Wen Wu, a.k.a. the real Mandarin. No disrespect to Simu Liu as our title character and our hero, Shang-Chi. He looks great in this trailer, and I love him in this role. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. like a legend like Michelle Yeoh in this, just amazing. Mm -hmm. But when Tony Lung is like, be careful how you speak to me, boy. I'm just like, oh, man. So yeah, menacing dude. and chilling. Uh, loved that line. Loved the delivery, the shot of him that we get in the trailer at the end of delivering that line. So good. Uh, and all the, the I mean, the, the Ten Rings themselves and the powers that those have. All of that looked awesome. So I was beyond impressed. And yeah. then they went right after my Hulk love and heart with Seriously. Abomination, who actually finally looks like Abomination, which I know <laughs> you flipped for just like I did, Paul. Yeah. So really quickly on the Abomination thing. Yeah. I had forgotten, Sean, that, that the trailer had dropped. because I, I remember seeing it on Twitter because, again, life was really chaotic this week. And it was actually your post that I saw. I went, oh, yeah, Shang-Chi trailer got released. And I saw it. I went, wait, wait, what's this? Abom abom what? Yeah. <gasps> it, it looks like it looks like the abomination. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. And so I I I was like, all right, I gotta watch this trailer immediately. And I'm gonna save pretty much everything 
what kind of my details of things that I really liked about it. Obviously, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, a little bit. But most everything I'm going to save to the Patreon uh, stuff because it, there is a little bit more, a lot more, in my opinion. But the, the abomination thing, like you said, it went right after me. I'm like, okay, whoa, wow. It, especially the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll get to that maybe a little bit more in the Patreon scene. But just the fact that that he evolved into what he's supposed to look like. I'm like, right. thank you. I mean, it's like, you don't have to worry about like, we can't make him look like the comic books. It's too yeah, close. No. You know, no, no, just shut up. Make it look as accurate as you can within, re- you know, within uh, real realistic expectations. And you know what? Like, it looks amazing. We're all flipping out and we're stoked. And I, I have to say, Sean, I, I, the trailers are always weird with me because I don't always love every trailer Marvel puts out. I'm very, very, not hit or miss, but, I'm kind of lukewarm on a lot. I remember not mm. liking, loving the Black Panther trailer when it came out. I loved the movie when I saw it, but the trailer just didn't grab me. And the last Shang-Chi trailer, I liked it. It didn't, it didn't grab me necessarily either completely. I, I still liked it. This totally won yep. me over to where I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like you said, Mandarin, I'm, a, I'm in. Like Shang-Chi himself, obviously I'm in. There's so much cool stuff in this, and I it was so much more pleasing visually mm-hmm. to me. That again, the stuff they showed was was still cool, but it it almost seems like we're they are definitely they're, they're confirming they're expanding the Marvel universe that this, the cinematic universe is giving us, and they're expanding even deeper into that different side of the Marvel universe. And I the fact that they're they're showing us that yeah, it's not just a surface kind of thing. No, no, no. This is like we're going in deep here, and we'll get into that in the Patreon scene. But holy crap! Like, there's lots of there's lots of great stuff. I love this trailer. I'm way more excited for Shang Chi now than I was before, by far, no question. Yeah, I mean, I'm still very excited to finish up Loki and watch Black Widow. That's coming out very, oh, very soon. I'm stoked for Widow. Very excited about all of that. But wow, I really cannot wait to watch the movie, the the full movie that this trailer came from, because wow, uh, what they were able to extract from the movie to show us in this trailer was outstanding. And I I just can't wait to see more of it. And uh, we will be talking about this trailer even more on the Patreon credit scene. And as I said at the very top of the show, we're also going to be talking about physical media and its uh, possible grim future, at least if you're looking for... uh, physical copies of these Marvel Studios Disney Plus series to put on your shelf. You can put them into the same, put them right next to that same empty slot where your Mandalorian physical Blu-rays are supposed to be. You just want to see me cry. That's what you're trying to do. Well, I mean, there is that, but, you know. No, I I like you being happy. So, you know, after this is over and we're done recording, although it, (laughs) it will be closed, so tomorrow you can go to the record store like we talked about on Instagram and make yourself happy, um, you know, for all of your physical media. Um, So let's finally talk about this Loki episode, uh, Lamentous, uh, written by Bisha K. Ali, who is the head writer for Miss Marvel. So here's a connection of things we have uh, coming up later on in the year. So if you like this episode, got good news for you with Miss Marvel. Don't know what to say if you didn't like this episode, um, but uh, I think most of you probably liked it. I know I really enjoyed it. Uh, this episode, it was another great one. As far as I'm concerned, uh, every single one, this series is three for three for me so far. So it's guaranteed to bat 500 at this point, even if the remaining episodes completely blow it. Uh, these first three were really great, including this one. And it was a more action heavy, action driven type of episode, which I think 
it was the right call for this because it was pretty light on action in the first two episodes. Not that that was a criticism I had of the first two episodes, but it was time to... This is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. These are superheroes slash villains slash antiheroes slash whatever category you want to put them in right now. We know how the TVA likes to be very specific about categorizing people, but whatever camp you're in for these characters, like they are superpowered beings and it's fun to watch them uh, in big action sequences, big action set pieces. And we finally got some of that in this episode and I very much enjoyed it. And it also moved at a very faster pace. And I'm not just saying at a fast pace, I'm not just saying that because, you know, (laughs) it's the shortest episode, um, but things really were moving at at a pretty good clip throughout this episode but I also think the reason I was still a, uh, a big reason why I was able to enjoy it so much is that it still kept character at the center of this story. And mm-hmm. I don't think it lost sight of that, of the character development, of the emotional core and thematic core of this series. Uh, I don't think it lost sight of that in this episode. Maybe it didn't emphasize it in as many places throughout this episode, but it was still definitely there and we will identify it uh, as we go on. But also the action was a really welcome thing, uh, I thought, in this episode, especially the, the the one shot or perhaps faux one shot that you get at the very end. Yeah, this episode I thought was really – I like – I mean, again, I, I'm a broken record. I have pretty much have liked almost all these episodes of, of all the series minus a couple maybe in WandaVision, whatever. Um, which I, still, I still love WandaVision. But yeah, this – and I Loki is a lot more concise – because of its only uh, way more limited than even the other series. Well, it's it's same episode count as Falcon and Winter Soldier. Six? They're both oh, six. I keep thinking Falcon and Winter Soldier was eight for some but reason. But I, I will definitely say that episode three of Loki is much better than episode three of the Falcon Winter Soldier. And it was. Ah, uh, uh, yes, that's 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 didn't the, uh, dislike sure, that episode. You can go back and listen yeah. to the spoiler review. But I, oh, that's yeah. probably the episode that I had the most issues with of okay. any of the Disney Plus series so far. Yeah, I keep thinking that Falcon Winter Soldier was longer, but yeah. So, but with that reason, it, again, it's more concise, a little bit tighter, and I, I love, I love these series on Disney. You Plus know why so you much. thought it was longer is because Episode Three should have been two episodes. That's why. If you, if you remember yeah. how we felt about that. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so in That's your right. head to solve that for yourself, you've convinced yourself that Episode Three actually was two, uh, and that's why you're thinking it was longer than six. And for those of people who think that Sean never criticizes anything, anything about Marvel, just go back to that episode. <laughs> so. Yeah, even, you know, finishing up on Falcon Winter Soldier, there's an entire character thing and subplot in Falcon Winter Soldier yes. that, that doesn't work. As great as yes. the series is overall yes. and as much as I loved it, you know, yeah, not not everything is equally great all the time. Yeah. So with, with this episode in particular, I I was very much looking forward to it, like anything, but even more so because of the Loki reveal and we got a little bit of an idea of what this character is. And I figured there was going to be a lot of reveals in here. And there wasn't like a lot, a lot where it's like jaw dropping, like everyone like drops their plate or whatever they're eating or whatever, their popcorn or whatever you eat at home. I don't know what you eat at home, whatever you eat. Uh, there, yeah. There's nothing like that. In gummy bears for some. Yeah. For, you know, well, from you know, I'd still eat gummy bears, but now it's caramel corn or like, uh, like, yeah, it's a whole different thing. Anyway, I, I, there was nothing like that in this episode, but there's lots of little things in here that were dropped and I really, really liked where they're going with it and we'll get in those details obviously. But yeah, I, again, with, 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 uh, Sylvie and everything, I, I love where they're going with this. And so we got a lot of character development with Loki himself, this variant or, or this specific variant that Tom Hilson is playing. That was interesting. So, 
it was just really interesting. Again, like I love the character development. We talked a lot about that before when we started recording this, but in general, but the one thing with Loki I really liked is the fact that we're getting character development with these different Lokis. And they, again, they've established the fact that these Lokis aren't all going to be the same, even care, like character wise. So right. this Loki that Tom Hiddleston's playing, is a lot different than the one that dies in infinity war. So we're, and I love that. And I love the fact that like, he is kind of looking back on something that he didn't even experience yet. And he has, you know, oh, she dies. But it's again, it's just really interesting is if that was even going to happen in his timeline, because maybe he finds out that it doesn't. And so all that is kind of like brought up in this episode a little bit. And I, I really like that. So, yeah, this episode, I didn't even realize how short it was until you even said it. I'm like, oh, you're right. It was only like what? It was under 30 minutes, correct? I want to say. No, I think I guess it depends on how you uh, parse that out. Like, because I, I, I think- don't count credits. Yeah, well, not counting credits, but there's also uh, I think it's a couple minutes of like previously on as well. I think it's still oh, over 30, man. even with because okay. uh, I think it's like 40 something, including yeah. credits, because uh, I think it was around like the 38 minute mark when I was like when it ended, I was like, okay. how long was that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think it's about yeah. 38 minutes minus, okay. you know, previously on as well, uh, but didn't really matter like. When it ended, it's not like I was surprised when it cut to the credits because yeah. based on the last shot, I was like, this is definitely where the episode's going to end. And then I was like, oh, but I wonder how long that was because it didn't feel very long. And it, but it's not just because like literally the episode was the shortest. The pacing was the fastest. So, yeah, absolutely. This episode, had they kept it, been able to successfully keep it at the same pace, it could have if and had it been the longest episode, it probably still would have felt like the shortest just because of how fast things uh, were moving in this um, but let's go ahead and let's talk about yeah. everything that happened in this. So we open with yeah. a flashback as the song Demons by Haley Kiyoko plays. I was vibing to the song. Very much enjoyed it. Um, as was C20 played by Sasha Lane. This is the character or the TVA hunter whom was kidnapped by Sylvie at the uh, beginning of last week's episode. And of course, uh, the name Sylvie was confirmed in this episode. And we'll talk about how we'll talk more about how right we were about that later on. Um, but we see that there's uh, we see this setting where and we know this didn't actually happen because it's C20 sitting there at a restaurant, sipping a margarita with Sylvie and uh, Sylvie is trying to get information, but every time Sylvie tries to get that information, it has to kind of reset because C20 all of a sudden gets suspicious, like, oh, we're this whole setting begins with we're this scene begins with we're already friends, and then I realize I don't actually know you, but we know that Sylvie was able to extract information, and then we see uh, Sylvie kind of catching up to where we were at the end of last week's episode where Loki and the TVA uh, arrive at Roxcart in Haven Hills, Alabama. Uh, when they arrive there, we see Sylvie watching on the surveillance footage, and that kicks us into everything we saw at the end of last week. Um, but this opening scene, what I liked about it is I, I thought it was really cool and good backstory that I think pays off even more when you learn the truth about C20 later on. I mean, this teases that. Like, why is this a memory? Because yeah. this mm-hmm. is not the kind of experience that a TVA agent gets to have, right? Like if Mobius doesn't get to ride jet skis, then except he did get to We'll talk more about that. (laughs) If Mobius doesn't get to ride jet skis, then C20 doesn't get to go out for margaritas either. Right? So this is already kind of telling us there's more to the people in the TVA 
than what we were told uh, via that animated video with Miss Minutes back in episode one. Uh, but we'll get more detail on that as we go along. What I mm. also liked about this, just building that intrigue, but also adding layers to the enchantment powers because there was some of it that mm. looked very, very simple with just like, I touch you and now I am you sort of thing. That's great. But I like seeing that there are challenges, there are obstacles where Sylvie has has had to develop and now we get to see her use additional skills where things are a little bit more complicated. So I liked adding layers to that. And she explains later that like it's not always easy. Uh, but right. seeing that actually visually demonstrated first in this scene, I thought was really fun. Yeah, and this was obviously to set up the fact that <clears throat> this variant is, in fact, a, a version of the Enchantress. And that was immediately evident and very cleverly well done, I, I will add, because for those who don't know, the original Enchantress from the Marvel comic books is a more, for lack of a better word, sexualized kind of thing, more basically. Totally. Yeah. And so... With that, obviously, that's not only tired and played out, but it's just not going to fly today in, in anything, you know, for and for good reasons, just not needed. And so with that, Mar and I'm not sure if they created this new Sylvie character in the Marvel comic books, you know, years ago to to basically reboot the Enchantress, whatever this that version of the um, Dark Avengers from the Dark Reign series was. But they've taken elements of that. Right. And have taken, but then created their own new Enchantress character with this. And I think seeing, and we already kind of we, we right. speculated on it last week. We assumed it. We were right about it. Again, I'm not saying the other people weren't right either, but we, we assumed that it became true. But what's interesting about this immediately is that I really liked how the Enchantress powers worked. Mm -hmm. And it isn't just, again, not the old classic, like I can just, you know, and, you know, just basically seduce anyone to, you know, whatever right. it from a race from a sexual standpoint. No, no, it's actually seducing them with just like being their friend, like being like a part of their, their life and getting them to like be in their happiest moment kind of a thing. Yeah. That was really interesting. And so I immediately was like, oh, okay. Like they're establishing the, the power levels of this enchantress character, the Loki variant. Again, Going back to what Mobius said, not every Mo not every Loki's gonna have the same powers. Establishing that, very very interesting. So there, it was just really cool to get that kind of right off the bat. Like, okay, yeah, this is a Loki variant, but this is definitely very much the Enchantress. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's that combination, that amalgam of yeah, you have she's a Loki, which you know she explains later on in the show uh, that yes, she was Loki, but she gave herself a new name, took on a new identity and i think the name sylvie is also just i think sylvie i think is paying tribute to the fact that yes they have given her enchantress powers and there was an enchantress named sylvie in the comic books exactly so mm -hmm. she's loki but she's got enchantress abilities not entirely unlike uh hella in thor ragnarok in order yes. to make her more lethal and add a layer of physicality to her as a villain they gave her or the god butcher powers but now there actually is a gore the god butcher with christian bale and thor love and thunder so we'll see what they do with that but uh yeah i really like this scene the next one is really more of the we're not flashing back anymore this is the true what happens next after the end of episode two and this is everyone that we're at the tva everyone is running around in the wake of the sacred timeline bombing uh, trying to scrambling going off in all these places to try and fix everything um, which is we know this is all part of the plan for Sylvie is that now everybody's distracted. So she's there to uh, launch her attack on the timekeepers. 
But guess what we also see? Her enchantment powers don't work at the TVA. So just like Loki's magic uh, doesn't work at the TVA, just like Infinity Stones don't really work at the TVA unless you need a paperweight. So there is some sort of nullifying effect that the TVA has, but it only seems to work here. It's like the TVA is the ultimate nullifier of the Marvel Cinematic mm. Universe. I don't know. Um, well, well said. We, we shall see. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I just thought it was interesting to, to add to that of, you know, yeah, the same rule applies. She's got abilities that uh, the Loki we know doesn't uh, have, but they also don't work here at the TVA. She is also limited. Uh, but good thing is uh, she knows how to fight. Uh, so uh, meanwhile, Loki has followed and he grabs those daggers that B-15 stashed in the locker last week. And uh, I want to give a shout out once again to the music, the score here by Natalie Holt. I love the original score of this Loki series so, so much. It is amazing. It's one of my favorite parts of watching these episodes week to week is hearing this score. Uh, so tip of the cap once again to Natalie Holt. Uh, really job well done. Um, Sylvie finds the gold elevator that C20 told her about. Loki catches up. And I like the little good back and forth. The one exchange that I really liked as far as their verbal exchange was Sylvie saying, you're in my way. And Loki's response, you are my way. Yeah. Uh, I really like that because that's true mm -hmm. for Loki. Like Loki's really trying to figure out who he is, his identity, and how he's going to move forward in a life that he doesn't want to be the one that he watched play out, the one where his neck is snapped by Thanos and rather casually by Thanos. And, you know, Loki's trying to go through this whole journey of discovery and potentially finding a different path to redemption than the one he saw and the one the Loki we saw, you know, experienced throughout uh, the MCU and the Infinity Saga. And, you know, a whole part of this mystery or the existence of Sylvie just adds to that mystery. So that whole you are my way line was really great. And Loki, kind of like he was last week, is pitching the idea of a team up. Sylvie still wants nothing to do with it. So Renslayer shows up. And uh, I like that uh, Sylvie took Loki hostage and Renslayer was like, yeah, don't care. Because uh, we know that's true. Uh, Renslayer does not care what happens to Loki. Uh, but Loki is able to use the temp pad uh, that Sylvie has to escape. Uh, not that Sylvie wanted to go, but they arrive at Lamentus 1. So that's where our title from this episode comes from. Although really, if we're thinking about the title of this episode and even the name of this location, Lamentus, I mean... The name certainly implies the the grief, sorrow, and, and regret that we see these characters expressing uh, throughout this episode. So it's a little on the nose, but I, I still enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. The interaction between the initial interaction when they were fighting and everything is great. And I love, again, Tom Hiddleston just oozes the charisma off the screen. So it's, it's this, again, broken record every week. But seeing them, this version of Loki has something to prove. Even mm -hmm. more, I would say, obviously, than the other incarnation of Loki, the the main 616 uh, version, if you will, uh, in the MCU. This variant, again, I love what he says, that you're, you are my way. Mm -hmm. Like his way of, I think, not just, I think, freedom in whatever he's trying to do with the TVA, but also to prove to himself that he is more than yeah. what everyone expects him to be, to make everyone else look better. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's great. And so I... Again, the initial, just the, just the fact that you give him the motivator, it's not like, you know, you assume that they're going to team up. That's not really what he's, 
he is and he isn't. I, I think he's he's teasing her or, or he's trying to you know test it out, but she already knows what he's trying to do and, and has no interest. And I just love the fact that they're that he all his old tricks not just work on Moby don't work on Mobius, but even like a version of himself, albeit completely different than what he is right now, still is not going to you know work with them. It's not like they have this unifying thing of like we're the same person. We have to we have to work together. Like no, that's not it at all, really. So I, I love the fact that both that that Loki version is like no, we're not working together. <laughs> so, right um, until they inevitably have to because well, yeah, circumstances to, initial, dictate. Yeah. But yeah. No, well, of course, this Loki would resist that idea or Sylvie would resist that idea as we would fully expect her to based on just what we had briefly learned about her at the end of the last one. She already turned down a team up. Nothing's really changed for them in the last five minutes. So, of course, she would still turn down uh, the next offer of a team up. But um, I like as they arrive on Lamentus One, like they have this their cool little skirmish with the two of them fighting over the temp pad, which is all out of juice. Uh, so there is a, a practical <laughs> element to these crazy pieces of technology that uh that the tva has uh loki pockets it in a pocket dimension or wherever he's able to stash it away with his magic uh it's their only ticket out of there if they can charge it but that's why sylvia is forced to work with loki as she can't get it back from him and she desperately needs uh this temp pad and she even says uh when he calls her a loki don't ever call me that and says uh, a loki and we get more info on that in uh, just a little bit here but as far as where we are at Lamentus One in the year 2077, so we are in the future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe here, it is a moon that another planet is about to crash into and destroy. And Sylvie says, of all the apocalypses saved on that tempad, this is the worst. So Loki leapt before he looked, and uh, or leaped before he looked, and, ma- and it matches what we know about Sylvie. So this makes sense within the story that she's been hiding out in these sorts of uh, apocalyptic events. So that's why she would still have that info that she was probably checking this one out and knows it well enough to know that uh, you don't really want to go there if you can avoid it. What I also love about this, though, from a more practical real world sort of sense is I love that the Tempad has saved recent addresses just like your GPS. I think that's pretty fun and uh, pretty convenient or inconvenient, as it turns out for this one. Uh, So no one gets out of here alive because that's the no survivor rule for these apocalypses that the variant or Sylvie would have been hiding out in. And we also see flying bits of this planet uh, raining down, which makes for some cool action throughout the episode. It's also kind of reminiscent of Thanos throwing a moon in Infinity War, Mm, although mm. that was moving much, much quicker than uh, this. This is a very long process. We're told this apocalyptic event takes about 12 hours, so we get to spend a lot of time with these characters uh, in this episode as fast as it moves. Uh, But you're mentioning, Paul, the the team up. There was another fun back and forth here. You know, so we're a team now? Oh, God, no. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, because... Loki's pointing out, well, you're keeping me alive, but Sylvie's like realizing, yeah, the if Loki gets blown to bits, I'm not getting the tempad back. So she, her survival is tied to Loki. Her being able to accomplish her plan is tied to Loki, and, and Loki's only comeback in this scene is, uh, you're so weird. Uh, but that initial setup of, uh, of where we are with these two characters, uh, I, I thought was really great in this, uh, in this episode. Yeah. And you know, I know it's it's one of those things where we. Sylvie was kind of identified and shown to us at the end of the episode, at the end of last week's episode. So we're just kind of chomping at the bit. Like we need to yeah. know who this character is. Please tell me everything about her immediately. But that's just not true of any Loki, uh, including mm-hmm. this one, Sylvie. And I'll expand on that as we go on. 
Um, but the initial impression that we're getting of this character, I, I really like and is really strong. And I do like that it's a as fast as this episode moves, it is really a, a bit more of a slow burn as far as what we're what we're learning about Sylvie and when. Yeah, I think that only makes sense. I, I don't want to have an exposition dump right at right. the very beginning of the episode. I, I want there to be some kind of gradual thing. I always like that. I mean, again, everything is, you know, I, I like variety in anything I do or, or watch or whatever. So yeah, what you they, don't if, want are the info dumps that you got in episode three of the Falcon Winter Soldier. And I'm done taking shots at that episode. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you are taking taking shots. But no, I, and again, I think sometimes info dumps are when they're they're written the right way, they can work. But I, I think for the most part, they're just kind of at this point, can, only miss minutes is qualified. It, for ex- exposition no, exactly. Dumps, See, thank you. Miss minutes has perfected the art of it. And at this point, no one else gets to try. Right. And that was done in a very creative, fun way. But you also got a lot of information out to the mainstream audience that you needed to with, with Sylvie, it'd just be too convenient to be like, Oh, here's my whole life story. You know, and yeah. here it is. No, I, you have to Loki for one, any Loki, I'm sorry, isn't going to tell them whoever they're working with everything about them in like five minutes. It's just right. not going to happen. You're going to learn that little bits and pieces throughout time or in this place, in this, in this way, we're going to be, you know, a half hour or whatever. So with all that said, I just, I just think that this was a great the little bits and pieces we get. I love the, the fact that we're getting that puzzle piece and that's what, at, especially, and again, I talk about the reveals in this episode through her and her revealing of who she is and what she's doing. You get to see like, oh, crap, like there's a lot more going on here. And there's and I think, again, it wasn't jaw dropping reveals where it's going to like break the Internet. Everyone's going to be rushing out to YouTube to like make as many videos as possible, saying the headline and uh, put the you know, timestamp on it or whatever it is. So the thing is here, but it's little bits and pieces that give you like, OK, like all things we speculated on are all coming. So mm-hmm. again, it's all tied with Sylvie revealing more things to Loki. So it kind of keeps you intrigued throughout. And I love the fact that it's a slow burn, like you said. So I, I again, I was expecting that. I thought we'd get most of the information about her, which we get m- most everything we need to need to about her in this episode, most of it. So I'm, I'm good. I was good. I was, I, I was loving their interactions. Right. But again, you, they're, they're depending on the actors working together to carry the show to get that that those those little dots of information we just go okay let's get more let's get more let's get more and i think it was successfully done so i love that that we're getting that as soon as this kind of set up here i realized okay they're going the slow burn here which is what i prefer so i was all in yeah it's funny though to have like a slow burn of this care some of this character development while you're having this action-packed episode where they're yeah train where they're just like racing to a train and then catching up to where the train went and all that stuff but yeah i really thought you know look loki is withholding the loki all the lokis we've known have been withholding and this one is too even though uh she's taken on a new name so uh all of that makes sense to me so uh as they're as we have this planet debris raining down on uh lamentus one they find shelter and Sylvie tries to enchant Loki to get the tempad back, but it doesn't work. Loki says it's because his mind is too strong. I don't know if that's the reason, or maybe it's because like a Loki can't enchant another Loki. I don't know. Um, I just, I don't know that Loki's mind is that strong uh, to resist Sylvie. We'll see. Um, mm. They do agree though to a truce so that they can get the tempad charged. Cause it's the only way either one of them is going to make it out of lamentous one alive. And we learn that Sylvie's plan, though, 
has been years in the making, and now Loki's messed it up, which, of course, explains why uh, Sylvie is so angry with Loki. But it also gives us a sense of history for Sylvie. When she says years in the making, I don't think she uh, had it be... I don't think it was plural because it's only been two. Uh, I think uh, Sylvie's Mm. been at this for a long time. And if we talk about... I don't know how we don't know how old she is. We know that as guardians, although she's not as guardian, um, but I I would guess that Frost Giants, because both Laufey and Odin were both around in our flashback yeah. at the beginning of the mm-hmm. first Thor movie, and we're around in the modern time. So Frost Giants, uh, Jotuns live a very long time, just like as guardians do. We don't know how long uh, Sylvie has uh, Sylvie has been at it, but we also know if she's been around the TVA at all. Time passes differently there. But this has been a long time coming uh, for Sylvie. So I like giving that character a sense of history. Uh, also like kind of the talking about the need to charge the device and having a little bit of the practical humor with it. Sylvie's line of there's power on this moon. We just need enough to travel through interdimensional time and space. Uh, I thought it was fun. Um, and I really so I enjoyed the back and forth with all this and, you know, complete with Sylvie saying that she'll kill Loki after she finishes carrying out her plan. And mm. um I also like what we're seeing from this character because I think it speaks to the emotion of the moment. Like we know that Sylvie's been at this for years and we've seen the extent to which she's gone through everything. And it seems like everything she's done has been so meticulous and so measured and and much more so than what we're seeing from her right now. But I think that speaks to how emotionally invested she is in this moment. And and just how much is probably throwing her off her, uh, off of her game a little bit because she wants this so badly and she's so close to getting it, to achieving her mm-hmm. goal, only for this Loki to come along and get in the way. So all of that I thought was really good stuff. Yeah, I, I, the stuff on the the train and everything and, and them talking and explaining what her motive... Oh, you know, we're not on the train yet. You're way ahead. Or, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, this, as we're walking. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. So... Yeah, no, getting where she's going, and I got the impression that she's been at this a long time. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the way I thought, anyway. And Definitely. So, because again, we we don't we don't know how old she is, but the fact that time works differently, et cetera, et cetera, and, and plus, mm-hmm. you know, she's a, she's technically a god from a different dimension. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a whole thing where I got the impression that this Loki, especially with the fact that you know we talk we haven't talked about this, but she's missing a horn, yeah. right? And so. Which evidently shows me that she's keeping the this costume part of or identifying of who she is, but she hasn't replaced it, mm-hmm. and meaning that she's been at this again. It gives me the impression, the visual impression that it's been going on a long time. So I don't think it's been like this years. It's been like many, many years. That's that's kind of the way I am. I am. Oh yeah. I am interpreting it. So like. Long, 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 long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's been about five minutes, but no, it, it's been very long. Um, that she's been trying to, uh, that she's been at this, and which again speaks to her uh, her reaction um, you know, to where mm-hmm. things are at, and, and Loki screwing everything up for her. Uh, but we do get a chance to get to know Sylvie a little bit as they're uh, walking to. There's a town where they can go to in hopes of getting a charge for the tempad. And uh, Sylvie says that she doesn't want to be called Variant or Loki. And she Mm. says, because that's not who I am anymore. I'm Sylvie now, to which Loki replies, oh, you changed your name. Brilliant. And she says uh, it's called an alias. And so this is what we talked about last week. 
mm. that she is Loki. And or at least she was, but she chose a new name for herself, a new identity for herself, uh, which is just another way of, of her demonstrating her own free will that I get to choose who I am and, and what people get mm-hmm. to call me. Um, so that's really, truly being a variant. So you can certainly understand why the TVA is so annoyed with her, although I think we'll find mm-hmm. out even more. But she's really taking control of her identity. And then she even asks uh, Loki, Tom Hiddleston Loki, like, what makes a Loki a Loki? And his answer to this, it still just demonstrates to me like where Loki is emotionally stunted because mm-hmm. he just turns on the full swagger. He's like independence, authority, style. And he's flexing because it's what he has to do, like internally, like he can't help himself. He can't be real in that conversation. Thankfully, he gets a little more real when they talk on the train. But like we've seen this Loki bear his soul to Mobius or, you know, to a screen that he's watching. He's watching, you know, a future of another version of himself that played out. But his first instinct is not to go there. His first instinct is to be just as defensive slash overconfident um, and just layers and layers of swagger. Same, very similar to what we're seeing from, uh, in different ways, different applications, but still enough similarities to Sylvie that you see how these two characters really are, you know, variations of one another right. while still being uh, individual, uh, having their individual identities. Uh, but yeah, this little quick thing of how the name worked, you know, confirms, as you were saying before, you know, a lot of what we were already thinking about uh, mm-hmm. last week. And uh, as Loki is talking about, you know, independence, uh, Sylvie rightfully calls him out for joining the oppressive time police. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls out, uh, then Loki calls out her plan, though, taking out the timekeepers and creating a, a power vacuum and then just walking away. And Sylvie doesn't really disagree with Loki, doesn't really correct him as far as that being the plan. But then Loki asks, um, I think Loki even asking that, that really called back, I thought, to episode one, because Loki is is essentially asking Sylvie, like, you take out the timekeepers, you create the vacuum, then what? To what end? Like, what does that ultimately do mm-hmm. for Sylvie? And this is a very similar type of, you know, psychoanalysis and asking these questions and, and really trying to dive into and explore motivations. Not that Sylvie really goes into it with Loki, but it's Loki attempting to do something very similar to what Mobius did to him when Mobius was asking him about, well, you want to rule, uh, rule Midgard, rule space, king of space, all that. Like, why? For what? Mm. Like, what will that ultimately uh, give you? So I thought it was interesting to see Loki kind of take uh, a little bit of that psychoanalysis that he picked up from Mobius and, and applying it to Sylvie here. All, it's, yeah. like, it's almost as if Loki is beginning to act like a TVA agent. Oh, yeah. And see, this is where, again, the the show has taken a, a different turn for me and what I was expecting necessarily. And I really like what they're setting up here. There's a lot of different dynamics that I think they could be go with this series with, with just with this whole reveal here of Sylvie and and everything here, because one, she establishes that I am not that I'm taking a new identity, which, by mm-hmm. the way, I love. I've always loved that. And mm-hmm. In a movie that me and you very much disagree with, Rise of Skywalker, I love that whole dynamic. No one get into that whole thing, obviously, but just the dynamic of someone saying, I am who I choose to be. That is, I think, a, such a valuable thing in today's world. And, and it has been forever, but even more so today. And I love the fact that this Loki, 
this version is not obsessed with being what the other Lokis are all striving to be. And maybe that she, because of her knowledge of the other Lokis and that the fact that there's thousands of different variations of them, of, of, of themselves or whatever. I think they were all different. Honestly. I, right. I don't know if yeah. they were as different as Sylvie. If the contrast was, if the divide between them was quite as large as it seems to be between this Sylvie and, and Loki. But then again, they, they do have a lot of common ground. They're just not sure. willing to really explore. But I think because there's that part where Loki, you know, talks about her plan and is always like, I'd never have done that. And she says, yeah, well, I'm not you. And mm-hmm. it's really establishing that idea that these variants, they are not right. the same. They have individual identities, individual sense of self, uh, which really points to because, you know, we're we were not trusting the TVA from the beginning. It's not mm-hmm. right to reset or kill them. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing I think that is so great about what, again, with Sylvie and this version of Loki and with the TVA and what the, the whole thematic story of the series itself is, you know, predestination. What does that mean? Is Are we all predestined to be a certain way or whatever? And Sylvie is is obviously bypassing that whole idea and saying, no, like that's this is not what it is. In fact, I'm a, I'm technically a Loki from that aspect, but I that's not who I am. And that is so rad because that doesn't fit into the box of these timekeepers. And they're saying, oh, you don't deserve to basically be around then because you don't fit into our plan. And again, I love, again, that's me, my assumption here. Um, but at least the last part. So, but again, I love the fact that she's establishing that I have chose to be this person now. I am not, I am not taking that Loki name. And again, I don't know if it's because she doesn't want to be called Loki because she knows that there are variants. I don't know. It doesn't really matter at this point. But it matters the fact that she has taken a different you know, name and that's who she's accepted. That's who she's comfortable as. And I love that. And I also love the fact that not only from a thematic standpoint that other people can identify with and love that is the fact that with this Loki variant, what that means for this version of Loki. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it means. And I think that you could very easily say, Sean, that you could just be Loki and just go by that name forever. I'm not sure that you necessarily even go by he'll go by Loki. I think there's, there's a couple different options here. I think they could definitely go with ideas anyway, that they maybe have in the comic books. Um, I think Loki obviously is a super huge name and they'll go by it, but I'm wondering if he might go by, uh, again, like how, like in the, in the end of, or the end, excuse me, the beginning of infinity war, when he dies, he says, one of the last things he, he declares at the very end before Thanos kills him, he says, I'm Loki Odin's son. And I wonder if that's going to play a part in this, that he really takes on that idea of like, I'm going to really take that name and, and make it what I want it to be. Cause before he was, I'm Loki, I'm Laffy's son, blah, 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 you know, or whatever. Now he's like, no, no, I'm Loki Odin's son. Cause they all, they have called him, you know, by his biological father's name multiple times in the previous episodes. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that whole Odin's son thing will come into play, especially with the fact that his mother, how much he loves her and, and everything yeah. All those aspects will come into play. Like, no, I, I am Loki Odin's son. That is who I'm going to be. And I think there's a power in that. So yeah. there's lots of cool, again, lots of really interesting thematic stuff that they drop here that I can't wait to see where they develop it into. Yeah, I, I think certainly that moment in Infinity War, actually, I think is part of the redemption arc of that Loki. You know, Agreed. Yeah, that's yes. his way of, he knows he's about to die. That's his way of telling his brother. Because him saying Odin's son, it says, like, I am Loki, king of Jotunheim. And he says, Odin's son, you know, prince mm-hmm. of Asgard, Odin's son. That is, like, him, like, acknowledging to Thor that, like, yeah, we're we're family. Because he was denying being yes. family and all that stuff exactly. for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, 
these are going to be some of my last words here. I want to make sure you know that I, I really do see us as family and, you know, our parents mm -hmm. as, as our, our family. And, you know, I, I love them. I love you. Um, and for right. this Loki, I, I think it's that's been one of the I think the interesting questions about the show is like is mm. he's not gone through the experiences of right. that Loki. He has seen them. But I think it's it's one of if we're talking about questions about identity and free will mm -hmm. and all these things is yeah. at the heart of this series or one of the things at the heart of the series, multiple things. <laughs> yeah. But it is it's that question of like, well, was his redemption arc part of it? Was it just a product of the circumstances that led to that? Or was it an inherent decency that's within Loki? Right. And not in the sense that like Loki has no choice, but to be decent, we know he has the choice and a lot of times he's chosen the wrong thing. Um, but you know, there, it seems to be some inherent decency. There were moments where you could see the regret. You could see him not wanting to do what he couldn't stop himself from doing. Like in Avengers, the tear in his eye when Thor's pleading with him. And then he ultimately stabs Thor and you know, the fight continues. But like, we see these moments of Loki, like not wanting to do, uh, there are, there was a part of him that wasn't wanting to carry out these plans that he had. And, and certainly like when he would say things to his mother, like you're not my mother and hate himself for it immediately after, you know, like I think there is that part of Loki that that's always known better and always wanted to be better, but he couldn't because of all these issues that he's talked about that he's admitted to in this series, you know, that he has to try and scare people and put on these big demonstrations of power and ego to cover up for how weak and how sad he feels in, internally. And so he's just masking all of these things that he feels. And he's it's become such a vital defense mechanism for him emotionally that he cannot help himself, which is why even in moments like this, as I talked about before, like independence and authority and all this stuff for Loki, which we know is complete crap. He called bullshit on himself in episode one, but he will still uh, put that out there because he can't help it. And I think that's where, when you look at where this character is going in this series, I don't necessarily think about him taking on a new name, but like it is changing what that name means and what his life means and, right, and taking control right. of it and not letting his pain, not letting his past, his circumstances dictate who he's going to be, but really making choices and really embracing who he wants to be. And of course, he will have to fight the TVA on that because we know the TVA doesn't want him to be that because that's not the script for Loki, just like Sylvie does not fit the script uh, for Loki. Um, but as we move on through the episode, uh, we learn some lessons in diplomacy because they happen upon this structure. There is a woman who is credited as the Lamentian homesteader, played by Susan Gallagher, and uh, Loki sees a neon sign and he thinks maybe they can you can use that to charge the Tempad. Uh, of course they can't. Uh, they need something much bigger than that. Um, but they're wondering if the person inside here might inside this uh, little house might be able to uh, help them out. And we get this back and forth of, uh, you know, brute force, as Loki says, is no substitute for diplomacy and guile. Uh, so Loki loves to manipulate. But Sylvie, I mean, she does plenty of that. She enchants people, but she also seems to have a greater affinity for the more direct approach. Um, but neither strategy works, neither Sylvie's or Loki's, because they both get blasted. So first, Sylvie. Uh, and then Loki, when he's posing as this woman's lover, Patrice, uh, Alex Van, the actor, uh, Patrice never said a thing, uh, said a thing that nice in 30 years when he was trying to call her beautiful. Um, he says, you're no travelers, you're devils. So uh, she's not the first person, though, to compare Loki or a Loki to the devil. Remember Kablooey Kid? 
uh, back in episode one. Uh, so there, the Mephisto references just keep on a coming. Uh, so she tells them about the Ark, which is an evacuation vessel, uh, and that would definitely have the power needed to charge the Tempad, which means these characters have a uh, a train to catch. And uh, I really like when like the Lamentian homesteader was like saying, you know, sorry about uh, blasting Sylvie and uh, Loki's like, don't be, I enjoy it. Or, or no, when she says uh, like, don't be, I enjoyed it. As far as she enjoyed blasting Sylvie and Loki's like, oh, I did too. Uh, I thought it was great. So, uh, yeah, that that whole bit. And I, I also like that both of these characters, as they're like, you know, puffing their chests and yep. you know, their their egos are on full tilt because it's it's yeah. Loki versus Loki or Loki versus Sylvie. Um, that both of them by you know get are humbled uh, briefly by this Lamentian homesteader. Yeah. No. And. and- I, I like the homesteader bit. That was fun when Loki looked at the the husband, which I knew. I'm like, hey, there's no way she's gonna yeah. fall for this crap. So well, I mean, especially like she was literally just talking to you. So who do you think she's gonna think you I are? Know. She knew so, you were right outside the door. So if you step there looking like somebody else, like I don't know. But obviously yeah. Loki wasn't giving the Lamentian homesteader much credit. No, it, which is again within his within his character. He 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 kind of thinks below a lot of those people. So uh, and, they, and yeah, Lamentian Homesteader is my second favorite credit behind Country Hoss at this point for Loki. Yeah, that is a Lamentian Homesteader is a great band name, by the way. So you, <laughs> get out there and use that ASAP. That's a that's a honestly. If I was in a band right now, I'd be like, I'd be bring that to the, the people right now. Um, and I'm not joking. So yeah. I, I'm just going to say this before about the planet and before we move on is it's purple. And I know there's a lot of things that are purple in the MCU before this this show, but I just, it it is really purple, this this planet and everything around it. I just want to make that very evident. So lots of purple on this planet for sure. Lots of purple on this planet. Yeah. Lots of purple in the show. Uh, Yeah. 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 uh, You know, of he he who shall not be named. Um, Yes. We haven't brought him up really. Not it's yet, great. but it, it'll happen. I haven't said his name yet. So uh, that'll, it'll probably happen. So happen. Uh, we're trying to, it's time to catch the train to Sheru. Uh, they don't have tickets because they're, the tickets are only going to the wealthy. So, you know, this end of world scenario. Um, but if you're worried about the financial disparity, just take comfort in knowing everyone on Lamentous One dies. Um, so except maybe Loki and Sylvie next week. So uh, they have no tickets. So Loki sets himself up to look like a guard. And I love how he says, like, how do I look? And Sylvie's response is like someone with a shit plan. Uh, That was good. Uh, And Loki's plan only half works. Uh, But Sylvie has to use enchantment to finish up to convince everybody to let them uh, get on the train. And then uh, we start uh, a much a very long scene that really will have to just break down in parts. But it's uh, it starts as really just two Lokis walking to a bar. Uh, so what happens in the, the bar car on the uh, on the train? Uh, so Sylvie says, you know, she never sits with her back to uh, back to a door. And Loki has a good comeback on that. There are doors on both sides. Um, but really, it's more of like the logic for Sylvie of not sitting with her back to a door, which, you know, you've seen in like every crime movie, certainly every mob movie ever. Um, but Sylvie is what it's really showing you though, is like Sylvie is always on guard, always looking out for threats, uh, which points to, uh, trust issues certainly, but also a, a life with very little safety, if any at all, uh, for Sylvie. Uh, Sylvie says that Loki didn't have a plan cause plans have multiple steps. Dressing up as a guard is just doing a thing. 
And Sylvie should know because she's had a huge plan that's been years in the making, which presumably had many, many steps. I mean, we saw some of them. Look at how many reset charges she acquired. So it wasn't just the crime scenes that we've witnessed in the show so far. Um, She's been at this for uh, a long time. And uh, they both need sleep, but they can't trust each other enough to shut their eyes. Uh, Sylvie says she wouldn't root around looking for the tempad when someone taught Loki fairly decent magic. So she's Mm. giving Loki a little bit of credit there, which sets Loki up to share stories about his mother. And so when we're talking about emotional moments for these characters and just getting into some real truth for them, we get some of that here. And and I love all of this because when Loki says my mother, it's not just about Loki and the story he's about to tell. Go back and watch Sofia DiMartino, uh, who does such a great job in this role as, as Sylvie. Her performance in that, like the way she smiles at the first mention of a mother, but then she looks away. Because Mm -hmm. what she's not wanting to do is show the emotion that she's feeling as she's likely experiencing a memory of her own mother. Mm -hmm. And I think Sylvie appeared to at least initially be happy to be reminded of her own mom, but then sad over what is likely a loss of her mom. But she immediately diverts the attention back to Loki. What was she like? And Loki starts with, she was a queen of Asgard. She was good, purely decent. And here's Loki being Loki. Like, why would the first thing you say about your mom be her title? You know, like Queen of Asgard. The fact that he said that first, I think, shows that that's where Loki has this tendency to first focus on the on the pretense as opposed to what's more meaningful. But when he actually expands on that, says she was good, purely decent. That's where we're seeing the love that he has for his mother. Thanks in large part to uh, Tom Hiddleston in the performance on as as we see on uh, Loki's face, and uh, I, I like that Sylvia is saying, "Are you sure she was your mother?" And uh, that's uh, of course when you it, it's a funny line, but this is an emotionally intimate and an honest moment between these two, yeah. and so when you inject humor into that immediately, that's a deflection technique for Sylvie because she's feeling this, like she's not saying anything about her mother. But she's remembering her mom, thinking about her mom. She's relating to these feelings uh, that Loki is having, but don't want to acknowledge that. So mm-hmm. let's let's crack a joke. Uh, Loki points out that he was adopted. Uh, wonders if that was a spoiler for Sylvie, but no, she knew she was adopted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she's like, they didn't tell you? Um, and we know that Loki wasn't told. That, at least he was eventually, but only because he initially discovered it for himself and you know forced mm-hmm. Odin to tell the truth. Um, Loki wants to know about Sylvie's mother and Sylvie says, I barely remember her just blips of a dream at this point. I don't think that's true at all. No way. Mm. I I think she's definitely remembering her mother in this scene, but there's pain and there's loss and she doesn't want to feel that right here and right now, especially not in front of Loki. And, you know, she can't dare to be that vulnerable in front of this Loki whom we know that she just doesn't trust yet and maybe never will. Although might, we'll see how it turns out. Um, and so Sylvie is just being withholding like any Loki would be. Um, but I, I think if we really go back and, and think of how much it took for this Loki, whom we know better than Sylvie, like think about how much it's taken Loki and, and the one we saw in the prime MCU timeline or sacred timeline, whatever, we know how much it takes to get Loki to like open up and be honest. And so that's, and he's still withholding whenever he can be. So that also just points to like we were talking about before, that you're just not going to get everything out of Sylvie right now. Right. But 
you know, this conversation um, about uh, Loki remembering Loki sharing about his own mother and Sylvie presumably remembering her mother uh, was was really well done. Yeah, this was this is great stuff. And I think that, you know, I, I think you're, you're on to something here, Sean, but I at the time and I, I'm not sold on this idea, but I'm wondering if because the Lokis are different. If, if they're obviously their relationships are going to be different too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or potentially not saying they're, go, they're not going to, but they, their potential, there's potential there for it not to be the same. Cause we don't know that if her mother didn't die, like maybe she's, he's telling the truth. There is no mother or she had a different mother where it was like a evil stepmother kind of situation or, or whatever. Right. Like, I think Sylvie lost her mother when Sylvie was very young. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think, well, look, there's, they released a promo, this week that showed like, you know, mm. a younger version of Sylvie. Okay. But so we're gonna get some kind of flashback. Something, there. but like, I don't, but it wasn't even that thing that, that had me thinking sure. this, like when she says, you know, when, when she did talk about like blips of a memory or whatever, like barely remembers her. That's, I mean, obviously that's common for people who lose parents at a much younger age. Cause you know, certainly obviously we don't yeah. remember as much from when we were young. And, and so it's, sure. it becomes harder, but I still think Sylvie was old enough to have pretty vivid mm. memories of her mom. Like it's just sure. the performance from, Soci- from Sophia DiMartino, it, it's Agreed. showing pain. Like it's, it's showing loss, knowing enough, remembering enough to remember exactly who her mom was, how she was. Um, and just knowing that, you know, she never, and I think that's part of what the TVA probably robbed her of. I mean, look, Sylvie is, uh, is a woman. We don't know if like she was a man and then, as, as Loki can change who he is or what he looks like. We don't know if she chose to turn into uh, chose to turn into a woman or if maybe this is just how she was born. I mean, her file mm-hmm. says uh, Sylvie Laufey daughter, La- Laufey daughter. So as opposed to Laufey son. So if she was born that way, I mean, she might've been a variant from birth, meaning that like her entire life has been, uh, on the run from the TVA, and maybe that's what her mother was mm. doing, was protecting her, but mm. could only do it for so long, you know, was able to make it for, you know, a little while to take, uh, you know, uh, to get Sylvie from infancy into, you know, some at some point in childhood, but there was probably a moment where the TVA caught up with them, and uh, I, I'm sure, you know, most likely Sylvie's mom sacrificed herself to protect her daughter from the TVA and uh and she was a, and she being uh Sylvie was able to escape and has been on the run and, and plotting uh her takedown of the TVA ever since. Yeah, I again I like you said there's there's a lot of different ways you can kind of go with this and I, I do like the fact that there's something there. And I, and I have no idea. And this is where I, I do love where the MCU does dive into different aspects of these characters. And with a character like this Sylvie character, which is nothing like the comic book version at all, either one, either one of them, as far as I know, I don't know the, the original Enchantress completely super well, but I don't think it's this complex as for damn sure. Uh, but I will say I love the fact that I don't really know where they're going with it. I think you're spot on. I kind of looked into it like maybe – like she had a, as a has a bad relationship with her mother. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of read that kind of differently a little bit. Which uh, again, the I, the initial smile when he first said "my mother" is mm. that's what. Which you know that that could be me reading too much into an actor's face, but I, I think it right. was intentional. No, right, right. 
Yeah. Well, and again, that, that's where I think that this whole variant thing is interesting. And again, I because I, I read it as what what could it mean? Because you're right. I You could read it many different ways. And I looked to it as maybe it's the exact opposite relationship that, that she had, maybe like with instead of, you know, because Loki always had a connection with his mother. In the, in, the, in the prime universe or mm-hmm. prime timeline because remember in dark world we can't we shouldn't fight mother wouldn't want us to you yeah. know and well just like, i mean everything like the initial right the initial exchange of glances between them like when he's brought in in chains before odin and all loki wants to do is is talk smack because that's what he does and yeah. uh frigga gives him that look and like that shake of the head of like no um and frigga is also the one who visits him in his cell yes exactly you know yeah. and so like she's not she's she never really gave up on loki yeah um which it's he so, actually yeah. says here too like there's you know there's more that he shared about mm-hmm. his mom that i thought was was very sweet and and very touching yeah you know, when he talks about how uh, she taught him magic because like he would see her doing all this stuff like you know putting fireworks on the water and all this stuff and it all seemed impossible, but she told me that one day mm. I'd be able to do it too yeah. because because I could do anything. And when yeah. Loki says that, Sylvie feels it. Like I think she mm-hmm. feels yeah. that, I, and yeah. I think she remembered that belief, that unconditional love, and that that belief in a child that a mother has. And mm. then he, of course, like demonstrates here's like the little firework trick in his hand. And <laughs> yeah. what? But here's what's great about it is Sylvie enjoys it, and she enjoys it mm. more than she lets on. It's a very simple thing, and she can do way fancier stuff than that because of her whole enchantment powers and all of that. But then she just kind of sniffs and says, "Not bad," and and dismisses it. But like she enjoyed it, and I think there was a there was a moment like tapping into that childlike wonder of you know right. of when magic was just amazing and special and not something you took for granted because it was something that you know it was your mom opening up an entirely new world to you and believing that you could you know could be there and, and be part of it. So I, I love that. And then Loki continuing. She was the kind of person you'd want to believe in right. you. Sylvie says, sounds like she does. And then Loki says, well, she did. All of this, I just thought, was a beautiful expression yeah. of Loki's love for his mother. And it's something I think that Loki really needed, too. Like, there's a lot yes. of Sylvie stuff here. But think about what this means for Loki. Like, we saw how it affected him to see his mother's death and learn that he caused it when Mobius gave him, like, the prime timeline recap. But... This what Loki's talking about here. It's more about the relationship he had with his mother and the bond than it is the loss. And why did it hurt so bad to know she was gone? And it's not just the general idea that we understand in storytelling of, yes, losing a parent is bad and emotional. But what Frigga specifically did for Loki and what she meant to him and the relationship that that they had, Mm. all of that, I thought, was was so beautiful and and so sweet. Yeah. And. For the record, or quickly, I want to ask you: Do you think that she has the same magic powers as Loki? Because she, when she does say "not bad," I again, I took that as like maybe she, because we all know they have different powers potentially. Maybe he has that and she doesn't. I mean, I, I again, I, I didn't, I didn't really. I don't even know, know if she's ever attempted it. I don't really think. Mm, it, I didn't okay. read it as a. Um, I, I didn't read it as like a jealousy thing or like a, I can't oh, no, I, I, I can't do this so I don't want to act very impressed by what you did. We know they have different powers. I mean that was uh, mentioned by Mobius uh, with all these different Lokis that they've taken out that they all have these different powers. I don't really think it was that. To me, the way it, it really played um, for uh, the way it really played to me was more of like 
just brushing off how utterly delighted she was when she saw it. Like, because it's not the kind of thing that she should be impressed by. It's, you know, and also like, it's just not acknowledging like how, how sweet and emotional this, this moment is like, and, and how touching this moment is like, she, it's just like, this is, uh, we're emotionally bonding and I can't have this. So let me brush this aside. It, it's yeah. just another deflection. Like her joke earlier. Like, are you sure that she is your mother? Yeah. And that's a good point. Again, this is a great, a lot of good stuff that you could take either way. Again, I always interpret things a lot differently than other people, but I, I, there, again, the fact that I think you could take it many different directions is, I think, a good thing and mm-hmm. good writing because you're kind of second guessing a lot of where this character is coming from, and I, which I like a lot. Yeah. So, and with the Enchantress, and let's be real here, I, I think either way you slice it, there's a, and she's a Loki, so it confirms this. There could be a lot of, we don't, again, she could be lying too, or eventually, we don't know. I mean, what, or whatever's happening. So I'm very curious of how much. She's telling the truth and all that jazz. So yeah, it's just putting that out there. I think she's telling the truth. I I don't really think, uh, you know, when she makes a reveal about the TVA, I'm more inclined to believe her than that. Well, yeah, that, that yes. That's her prime uh, motivation. Yeah. I think she tries to avoid being honest when she can. Like I think, but I think it's more of keeping people at arm's length as opposed to just full on deception. Like I don't really think she's trying to deceive loki in that moment but yeah i could be wrong we'll see um the conversation does continue and loki wants to know where sylvie learned how to do enchantment she says she taught herself loki wants to know how it works but she's not telling she would only demonstrate on loki he passes and uh cocktail waitress brings up champagne for two or really a two for one because loki says i'll take hers thank you because sylvie declines uh the conversation turns to uh, the old woman, the Lamentian homesteader, who chose to stay behind and die, and they start discussing the nature of love, and Sylvie says she's in love, and Loki says she hated him, to which uh, Sylvie replies, maybe love is hate, and Loki mm. mockingly writes that down, which is a good bit. And on the subject of love, though, Loki asks, is there a lucky bow waiting for you at the end of this crusade? Sylvie says, yeah, there is actually. Managed to maintain quite a serious long-distance relationship with a postman whilst running across time from one apocalypse to another. Good comeback. Lots of good comebacks throughout uh, this episode. Uh, Sylvie does uh, say that she had some hookups to keep her going uh, while she's been on these adventures and planning for years and years to take down the TVA. Um, And Sylvie says people are quite willing in the face of uh, certain doom. And Loki figures that's correct. And then Sylvie uh, turns it back on Loki and asks, how about you? You're a prince, must have been would-be princess, uh, must have been would-be princesses or perhaps another prince. And Loki says, a bit of both. I suspect the same as you, but nothing ever. And then Sylvie finishes the line, real. And Sylvie says, uh, love is mischief then. Loki says, no, love is uh, something I might want to have another drink to talk about. But it's really that exchange of how about you? You're a prince. Must have been would-be princesses or perhaps another prince. With Loki saying mm-hmm. a bit of both, I suspect the same as you. So for the first time ever, we hear Loki acknowledge that he is bisexual or potentially pansexual. And I'll start with what director Kate Heron tweeted about this moment uh, on Wednesday morning, which I just thought was 
Awesome. She said, from the moment I joined Loki, it was very important to me and my goal to acknowledge Loki was bisexual. It is part of who he is and who I am too. I know this is a small step, but I'm happy. My heart is so full to say that this is now canon in the MCU. And there was also some credit being given to the director of photography, Autumn Gerald Arkapa, for the lighting in this sequence, which matched the colors of the bisexual flag. And in looking at this moment, it has to be noted that Loki is a major character in the MCU, major character in the world's biggest franchise. And with all due respect to Joe Russo's anonymous grieving man in Avengers Endgame, this is by far the most meaningful LGBTQIA plus representation that the MCU has offered. So yes, this is a wonderful and important moment. At the same time, it highlights that the MCU hasn't been moving fast enough in this respect, you know, considering how deep we are into the MCU. But thankfully, things are changing with Brian Tyree's character, Fastos, who will be a gay man married to a man and having a child, having a family uh, that we will see in Eternals with Kevin Feige and Tessa Thompson having confirmed that Valkyrie will be finding her queen in Thor Love and Thunder. So and hopefully for Loki, that he won't just be referencing his past and having been with men and women, but maybe we'll also get to actually see him pursue romantic relationships, as we have seen heterosexual MCU characters do many times over the years. And what I loved just as much as the moment, if not more, really is the way that Kate Heron characterized it in her tweet, because she called it a small step. But she's happy and her heart is full because, thanks in large part to her, the show was able to make what a lot of MCU fans and comic book readers knew to be true, took that and made it part of the official canon. It's Loki showing a part of who he is and helping Kate Heron and many others feel seen and included. And I would say that's probably more than a small step. But the point is, it's still, regardless of the size, just a step. It is significant. It is not mission accomplished. If you felt seen in this moment with Loki, if you felt included, if you felt represented, or at least better represented in the MCU, that's beautiful. And I'm happy for you. We are happy for you because I know Paul is too. And you are right to feel that way. If you also feel that this is only the beginning and Marvel Studios has much more work to do in order to truly be an inclusive reflection of the audience that watches these films and series, you are also right to feel that way. Yeah, and I and honestly, Sean, you said it best. I I really have nothing, nothing much to say, but I agree 100% with what you're saying, and I'm glad that we have something like this. It's, again, it's a small step, like you said, but... There's other characters with, you know, given this representation that will be in other shows and the fact that will be more occurring is, mm-hmm. I think, important. And this, again, is a small step to these other small steps to 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 a point where it will be no more steps. It's just ingrained and accepted right. and no big deal. And so, yes, I, I agree with the director. And I think with every small step, we'll eventually get to your destination. And I think we're headed there. And this is the first. And 
important. It's a first and small but important step. But yes, I am very happy, and I had no. When he said it, I was like, "Yeah, sounds about right." And <laughs> I was, you know, yeah, I, I thought it was great, good, a great moment for people that again they feel seen. But for the character itself, I wasn't like shocked. It wasn't like a no. big deal. I was like, "Cool, all right, move." It's kind of expected what what, well, what happened. So this was, I mean, but what I'm glad is they actually had him say it because right. you know it was in that document about Loki, like in that the TVA had. It's in his file that his sexuality was fluid. And we know in the comic books, sexuality, his gender has been fluid. So, you know, it, it fits who the character is in the source material. It fits what a lot of people, how a lot of people felt about this character and you know, what they believed to be part of who he was, uh, that this was part of Loki. And, and of course, it's been part of what a lot of fans have seen in the character, but it wasn't officially acknowledged in the story. And that is an important step because... One of the tendencies in a lot of mainstream media, and by the way, like there are other shows and other movies that are doing way more in this respect than Marvel has done with this moment with Loki. It's significant within the MCU and and even other franchises as well, where in other movies and series, again, there are ones that are doing a much better job, but plenty others that have a more half-hearted attempt where they rely on the discourse around the story for fans or uh, journalists and other people who write about and cover this stuff or just talk about it on social media to leave it open to their interpretation. Kind of like Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok, where there was a scene that established that she was bisexual, but it was cut. And so, and I'm not, I don't know that it was cut specifically for that reason, but the net result is it didn't make it. And it felt like Thor Ragnarok was trying to trade off of this idea that within the discourse it was talked about as, oh, Valkyrie is is definitely a bisexual character, but it wasn't actually established in the movie. It wasn't established in the story, and so it is important to take that step. And so they've finally done that with Loki. Valkyrie, we've been told, is going to get to take that step in Thor Love and Thunder, and so it's important to keep having those steps be taken to have this be a more inclusive franchise. And maybe we'll see more examples like America Chavez played by Sochi Gomez, who's going to be in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness next year. So I'm very happy that this happened. Uh, I'm very happy that Loki was able to acknowledge this part of who he is in this episode, in this moment. And I hope it's just, again, just the beginning, just a first big step for him uh, in these stories and a step for Marvel Studios going forward. Uh, and I'm confident that it is, and that it's just on us to keep keep watch for it and, and hold them accountable. But uh, I, it was still a, a great moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next scene we get is because uh, you know, Loki needed to have another drink. They decide they got to relax. But again, nobody really wants to sleep, although Sylvie finds a way to do it. Um, but Loki wants to relax in his way, which was basically getting drunk and singing. So the song is called Jag Salar uh, Min Ganger or Ganger. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, but it is a Norwegian song, so we know that you know Asgardians spent a lot of time in Norway. In fact, that's their new home. Mm-hmm. New Asgard is in Norway, so makes sense that Loki uh, picked up a tune or two. And Loki has ditched his uniform, so he's blown their cover. He's just too drunk to notice, uh, or too full, as it turns out. Uh, the The song definitely sounds like I don't know what the translation is, but the song definitely sounds like someone kind of lament. There is. A little bit of lamenting there. You know, I don't mm. know if it's for a moment uh, or if somebody's a little sad or and then maybe, of course, it becomes joyous again for when you get to the chorus because it's the chorus. Um, so 
there was uh, there seemed to be you know the name of this episode the tone of some of this where there is some sorrow there is some regret tonally it felt like that uh, in the song uh, with the way Loki was singing and kind of the downbeat section of the song and the way he was just looking at Sylvie and I, I can't tell if the song specifically means anything to Sylvie or not not sure if Sylvie spent time in her timeline on Norway uh, like this Loki has. Um, but it probably means something to her. At least Loki thinks so. And then we get a callback. And it's not just a callback. It's another callback uh, as Loki smashes a glass, uh, which brings us back to Thor with the uh, coffee mug in 2011. So what we've established here, and this is a, another key reveal in this series, we're learning so much about Loki. And a big takeaway here is that Loki is a really fun drunk. Um, and then he says, uh, <laughs> and uh, Loki says he's not drunk, he's just full. But bear in mind, he's very full. And then he starts talking about a, a figgy port that he can't find. Uh, so Sylvie will have to take his word for it. Uh, Loki is uh, so great. And and look, tonally, it, it's a good, uh, you know, it's a, from how heavy things were in, in the conversation between Loki and, and Sylvie and the subject of, of mothers and, and everything that they were going through and, and how vulnerable Loki was in that moment. Um, and also everything that Loki's been through up until this point. Like this has been a highly stressful period for Loki. So for him to have a moment to actually let loose and then of course, you know, uh, maybe do maybe go overboard with it. Uh, I, I thought it was a moment that really fit for the character. And yes, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I agree. It was... <laughs> as he was drunk i went hey he's wearing his, i noticed right away hey, he's wearing his normal normal clothes now uh-huh so uh, <laughs> i was like oh that's actually ended up being a big deal all right so that <laughs> was it was a fun little scene for sure yeah and uh sylvie is pointing this out and loki wants to know when she got so paranoid and this gives us a key piece of information she says i guess it must have started when i spent my entire life running mm. from the omniscient fascists you work for. So mm. Sylvie's been a variant on the TVA's radar, at least since she was a kid, perhaps even, as I said earlier, since she was born. So here's the confirmation, right? That gotcha. Sylvie's okay. been at this for a while. This is not just, uh, you know, Sylvie as an adult ended up being, uh, you know, chased by the TVA. She says her entire life. So at least that's, you know, if, that might be literal, like I said, from the moment she was born, uh, or it could be, you know, but you know, not quite so literal, but still most of her life since childhood. Yeah, I know what you um, mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, for th this is when we talk about years in the making, it's not just the years in the making of her plan; it's many years in the making of her just even having to deal with all of this with the timekeepers and the TVA. Right. No, I, and that's and that to me, I, I took that as like okay, like like you said, like. A long time and where exactly that does that go i don't know where her family falls into that right mm -hmm. like maybe the tv maybe the tv goes and destroys that side of the family or that side of the the, the multiverse and she she was the only one to escape from that mm -hmm. i don't know it's it, it is interesting and that's where that mother angle could come into play as well so uh, yeah and i i don't know exactly again i just i don't there's something she's not telling the whole truth on and and, and I, I definitely feel like her motivation is there. Like that's the whole reason. I don't think that's a lie necessarily. And that would be a big twist if it was. Again, I don't think it's a, that's the lie. But I think there's something that she's omitting. She's omitting right now from this Loki and the audience that we're not privy to yet. 
And so I'm just wanting, I'm just, I'm she's just definitely omitting some things, but I think it's, I think what she's omitting is ultimately going to make her more sympathetic to us. I don't it's, think we're going to okay. find out that she's, um, uh, I don't think it's going to be malicious in how manipulative she's trying to be or, or anything like that. I, I think sure. she's omitting painful memories and, you know, events yeah. of her life that, that ultimately would require her in order to share that with Loki would require trust in order to be that vulnerable in, in front of yeah. him. Uh, but I, I think that will be uncovered in, in due time. Meanwhile, Loki goes back to trying to figure out what love is. And he comes up with something that it's a dagger, you know, it's beautiful until it makes you bleed. And then like when you reach for it, it isn't real. So it's like an, it's an imaginary dagger. Uh, yeah, the metaphor doesn't work. So uh, compared to this one, the salad metaphor wasn't clumsy at all. Uh, this one, because mm. the salad metaphor at least worked. Love is a dagger, not quite so much. Uh, so because Loki is no longer dressed like a guard, uh, somebody has noticed them and, and went and got the guards, and now they're asking for tickets. All Loki's got are fireworks. A fight ensues. Loki gets thrown out, uh, and then Sylvie jumps out after him, and she's got to follow Loki because Loki's got the tempad. There's no point in staying on the train if Loki and therefore the Tempad uh, is not there. So um, I there was a good bit in the action there where Loki's dagger throw was just as bad as his dagger metaphor because he almost hit Sylvie <laughs> with it when he was trying to uh, help mm. her out. But good little action beat there. That was uh, great. Yeah. And then as we cut to outside the train, uh, all hope is almost lost because Sylvie wants that Tempad and Loki's willing to give it to her finally, except now it's broken. <laughs> That was hilarious. Oh, man. Especially when he thought like he could fix it and then it just completely like disintegrated <laughs> yeah. in his hand. <laughs> I laughed out loud for that as well. Yeah. And uh, Sylvie is understandably upset with Loki and wondering like he's just out of control because he got drunk uh, when they were needing when there's this very important thing that's all going on right now. And, and Loki got drunk and he just says he's hedonistic. And then she says that she's a lot more hedonistic than Loki. Trust me. Um, she's so fed up with Loki that she just lets out this scream and i like the big like energy uh outburst like when she screamed um so there's a big manifest like outward manifestation of her powers to you know go with all the rage she's feeling internally uh, and then it's time for a little sit and chat and loki's got a solution that uh they still need to keep going they're not on the train anymore but they still need to make it to the arc to make sure that it actually leaves lamentus one and uh because they can't repair the tempad, but they can survive, right? So, like, there's nothing to do about the tempad, but they can survive. And if they survive, then perhaps they'll be able to get another tempad. Because if they survive, then the TVA presumably would show up to reset that variance. Or perhaps, you know, they'll find a way, even if they get away from Lamentus One, to trap the TVA in some other spot. But it's really more about living to fight another day uh, to get to the Ark. And uh, after this, Loki tries again to learn how enchantment works, but Sylvie isn't telling. And this is where I, I think when you talk about uh, Sylvie omitting things, this is like the strategic part of it. Although I, I still think, I don't think she's being totally honest in this when she says that she holds a tactical advantage by Loki mm -hmm. not knowing as much about her as she knows about him. And that's a good way of rationalizing it. And to an extent, it's true that, you know, it's it's better for her to be the one who knows more as opposed to less uh, and, and not be on even ground with Loki. So that totally makes sense to me. But I also think it's not just about the advantage. It's her own comfort level of uh, not wanting to share as much about herself. 
Yeah, and this was you know, again. I, that's where I started thinking, like, okay, where I like I said, I think the her, her motivation is still accurate. There's, there's just something else that I'm just like, hmm. And I do think that they're they're holding off, and I, she's purposely both holding things to Loki and the audience. And I'm very interested interested in those reveals. So, and again, I like this part too because again, I laughed out loud when the thing disintegrated. Oh my god, I, I thought it was hilarious. And just seeing them, these two actors working off of each other, it was great. Again, they 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 really do. I mean, they carry this whole episode, but it is a very entertaining thing to have these two characters pretty much by themselves. I mean, think about it, yeah. where they're carrying everything. There's not a lot going on around them to where it's you can you can kind of like you know other people talking. You know, it's about those two characters, and they are front and center. And again, they're 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 isolated a lot of times. For most of the episode, I would say, and you, I just, I was, I never was bored once, and because of the action, but also because the interactions are so good. So, right again, I, I did, I did like this part. I love the fact that they're back on by themselves, walking. Right. You know, I thought it was great. So, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, it was great. And uh, Loki makes another attempt to learn how enchantment works, and Sylvie, after resisting, finally explains it. She has to make contact to grab hold of their mind, which we saw, of course, last week. Um, most people are, are, are easy with that respect, but she mentions that there are stronger ones who are tricky where Sylvia is in control, but that that person that she's enchanting, they're present as well. So she has to create a fantasy in their minds, as we saw with C20 in the flashback that opened this episode. And speaking of C20, some key info being dropped here by Sylvie. Talking about C20, her mind was messed up. Everything clouded. I had to pull a memory from hundreds of years prior before Mm. she even fought for them. And Loki says, same thing we're saying. What? Because this is big. C20 was a regular person on Earth, enjoyed margaritas. Like That wasn't like something that Sylvie made up. It was a memory that she went back to and just like inserted herself into with C20. C20 was a regular person on Earth, Um, And Loki and all of us were told, though, that everyone who works for the TVA was created by the timekeepers. Sylvie says that's ridiculous. They're all variants just like us. And Loki says they don't know that. So you and I, I mean, and I think most people watching the show, I'm not trying to give us a bunch of credit here because I do plenty of that elsewhere. But (laughs) I think that for this uh, for this reveal here, we knew we couldn't just trust everything that we were told by the TVA and and by the timekeepers and Loki's been skeptical of them. And so have we. And so it was just a matter of time of figuring out what was true and what wasn't. And what we've seen here is that this is the first big lie that we have caught them in. So the timekeepers, um, they have not created all of these TVA workers. And that means to our knowledge, the timekeepers have not created life. So that's a check on at least part of their power because that's pretty powerful to be able to create a bunch of living beings. So far, it doesn't look like the timekeepers have been able to do that. Uh, What they have been doing is taking these variants and they've been making these variants really unwitting slaves. They're living drones who carry out the bidding of the timekeepers or whoever is really in charge. And so that creates all sorts of questions like what does this mean for the characters we've already met? For Hunter B-15? most likely uh, a variant judge Renslayer is more of a confusing one. I'm like, is she 
a variant who was, you know, brainwashed by the timekeepers or is she maybe the one who's really behind it? I mean, we've suspected that she's, I mean, she's apparently the only one who gets to see the wizard or the space lizards uh, behind the curtain at the TVA. So maybe there's no one behind the curtain and it's all her. Maybe she is connected with, I'll say it, Kang. Uh, because the character uh, Ravona Renslayer is affiliated with Kang in the comic book, so maybe that's part of it. Um, or again, maybe she's just a variant like everybody else at the TVA. Uh, but for mm. Mobius, I think we know what this means. Uh, it, it means our guy rode the hell out of a jet ski and doesn't even get to remember it. He might have even gone pro riding jet skis in the Whoa. early 90s. Dude yeah. might have been a legend on a jet mm. ski uh, in the 90s. I, I don't know, but uh, I... He, he says he's never ridden one. That's not true. He just tragically uh, doesn't get to remember it. But uh, I got plenty more to say about what this does for like the science fiction allegory of this mm. series. But uh, I'll have you uh, jump in here, Paul, because I know this this reveal, I'm, I'm sure, immediately clicked with you as, as it did with our, our dear listeners. Yeah, this was a... I mean, again, I didn't think the TVA was completely... It wasn't completely good or, or obviously that that's obvious, but there, there was something more to it. And, this, and I go back to the, what I said about the aesthetic of the the basic aesthetics they have of paper and things like that. It's it almost felt like they were containing something like these people were the more simple they made it, the more it was easy to control the people that, that mm-hmm. they had there. That's what it felt like. And it was definitely confirmed with this episode. I was surprised. But it also made me realize, hmm, what does that mean? And as far as the TVA going forward post this show and what that could mean for Mobius and Renslayer and things like that. And it, it just to me, it kind of confirmed a couple of things that I think the TVA will exist afterwards. It's going to be pro- probably radically different run by Mobius, a.k.a. Owen Will- or a.k.a. the played by Owen Wilson. Yeah. And so I think I that mean, might still be Renslayer if she's a victim of this, like everybody else. It's potential. I just think with, with Owen Wilson being that sure. And plus, I think Mobius, I want to say he's the one running the show. I could be wrong. See, but I, I feel like if Mobius is running it, then he doesn't get to be in the field as much. And, and I feel like Mobius is a field guy. Well, and the reason why I think that he would be the behind the behind the scenes guy is because it's Owen Wilson and he probably Again, we'll have, doesn't have to be in every episode, and he doesn't. That could eliminate the idea that he'd be in the field. You yeah, can have him show up in, you know, showing some, you know, hey, I'm here for a couple episodes, and I'm good, kind of a thing. I, I again, it would fit that model. Um, I, I, I have no problem if I'm wrong. I, again, I, I, but that's kind of where I'm going with it right now, and I think that it kind of opens that door for a more uh, well balanced TVA at this point, and. Again, showing the fact that that even the TVA the TVA themselves don't even know what's going on, it shows that the TVA in of itself is not evil. It's whoever's running it is evil. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So I mean, that's where I think this is going, and I I do think that we all talked about it. This to me confirms that, and I think that's why we're gonna find out that who the timekeepers are or is if you will, or maybe it is a group of people, the same person. I don't know. And it, it definitely adds credence to the fact that the timekeepers are, you know, who Sean, because the fact that they are, the TVA is all variants mm-hmm. would make sense that that Kang. Oh, I said his name. Uh, I did too. You're fine. Okay, good. 
I, I thought you did. I, we we yeah, each get yeah. one, and that's it. So, okay, all right. So I will say that it would make sense that he would have a group of himself running the TVA and all being consistent that way and have it be just, you know, again, the council or that group or Mortis or whatever it is. Right. All that would be consistent. And, and the fact that they're all different variants, that they'd be the same timekeepers would be variants of that person. So, and, and to be honest, that kind of brought up a great point. The time, the, 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 uh, oh my God, timekeepers, they potentially aren't even the one of them might not even be the real one. It could be all variants of that one. Sure. So, and not even be the, the, the main one that we, that we'll see probably in quantum mania and, and Ant-Man. So that's where I'm, I'm going with it. And I, I definitely felt like this confirmed all our suspicions. And I think that the whole idea of is it Mephisto is it Mo- not Mephisto from WandaVision. I think <laughs> it will pay off in this series. Finally, finally. And if I'm wrong, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I I do not know, but what I also like about this is just when you when you uncover this one big lie about the TVA, like it, it just leads to those other questions of what else are they lying about? And I think that based on the way they have responded to the bombing of the sacred timeline, the whole red line thing uh, with branches and everything like that and, and how bad that is. I think it's true that the sacred timeline can unravel and branch out into the into all these different timelines if they're not able to do these resets, which we haven't actually seen these branches hit the red line yet. So we don't know that the sacred timeline is you know now going to turn into a full blown multiverse. We don't know if that's happening in this show just yet. But um, as, as far as the the possibility of that happening I think that part of it is true. The part that I, because otherwise, why would the TVA respond to it? If, if there's no such thing as like branches that turn into a red line and it creates the multiverse, why would they even care? The fact that they're responding to it uh, says, you know, that even if they are entirely self-serving, well, that's serving a purpose for them, meaning, and if they're trying to to stop it from happening, then that means it is a thing that can happen. So that part's true, but is it really as bad as they say it is? That part's not so clear. And even if it is bad, Bad for whom? You know, bad for everyone or just bad for the timekeepers or, you know, whoever they really are. So I, I think that's where we'll see some of these. And how does Miss Minutes factor into all this? I mean, she wasn't human. It doesn't seem. Uh, so uh, what does this mean for Miss Minutes? I, I I don't know. But yeah, this was a big reveal in the episode. I mean, something that we suspected didn't really trust the TVA and the timekeepers and all that stuff. But when you actually have them caught in a really big lie, then of course it, it's about seeing, you know, what else will unravel as the, as the truth is revealed. But, uh, I, I mentioned before when we talk about like science fiction, which, you know, allegory is, is a great part of the best science fiction. I think Captain Marvel did this well a couple years ago. Um, but I talked about, you know, we talked a lot about free will and identity and, and I talked last week about, you know, the more in a more real world sense, as opposed to just, you know, fictional organizations working for all powerful space lizards. But even the impact that that we have in the ways that we might look at free will and, and choice uh, within our world and the way that we can limit our choices, even unwittingly, you know, limit each other's choices. Let's look at what's happening here with the timekeepers and the TVA, what you have is a powerful few, or maybe even only just one, but as it's been presented so far, a powerful few who create and uphold a system that, as far as we can tell, only benefits them, but they are too few 
to uphold that system on their own. So they have seduced slash corrupted slash brainwashed others to help those powerful few further their goals of gaining and maintain gaining, maintaining, but then ultimately growing their own power. And these variants are unwittingly acting in their own. uh, They're actually unwittingly acting against their own individual and collective self-interest serving those who would otherwise brand them as unworthy, unfit, uh, as other. And it's all in the name of some holy mission to preserve a single system of how people are to exist and behave. The timekeepers limit choices, block free will, and turn people into living drones to help devalue the free will of others in hopes of ultimately eliminating it. Yeah. None of that happens in real life. This show isn't about anything at all. So I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll leave it there. I, yes. I I love my theme park rides in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Thank you very much. Yes. So uh, let's go to our last scene. All hope really is lost because it all goes to shit and Sheru. So we get this amazing shot that looks like a one but probably isn't because there's a couple spots where they could have cut it. Um, but it plays as a one-shot that uh, Kate Heron mentioned uh, Children of Men was an influence uh, on this, and it's really great action and really great cinematography as the planet breaks apart and it starts raining down uh, debris. It already has been, but now it's uh, at a much faster pace. Uh, Loki and Sylvie are fighting their way through all this madness, and just as they get eyes on the Ark, it's destroyed. Huge piece of debris comes through, blows up the entire Ark, so now they are screwed until next week. And their reactions. I mean, Loki is standing up and looking at it in complete disbelief. Sylvie just mm-hmm. turns around and walks away in disgust. Um, just real. I don't have much to say about this other than the the action with this sequence. Everything they did, like like clearly, like so much work, so much planning uh, went into creating this sequence. And visually, it is amazing to watch. And, you know, it, it really shows the the amount of effort that would have gone into a sequence like this. Um, it's fully present on screen. And uh, I salute the effort by everyone who was involved in making this because this sequence was was really great to look at. Um, and also just you yeah. know feeds into these characters of, of everything they're fighting for. And mm-hmm. yet it, sometimes it still just feels like no matter how hard they fight, like they're just, you know, the, the odds just continue to be against them. You could say they were destined to fail. Ooh. Even Uh, planetary debris doesn't have free will. It's going to fly in the direction that the timekeepers say it's supposed to. Maybe. Or maybe someone knew it was going to happen and they wanted them to get (laughs) into that spot. And that person was Mobius. Yeah, never know. Um, I have no idea. I definitely did. I will say, I don't think I'm going to be right, but I did think and still kind of think that Mobius is still maybe pulling strings and, and orchestrating his own master plan. There's something there. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I'm, I've been wrong with these things before. So no, this is a great scene. It lo- looked fantastic. Uh, it, it definitely had uh, re- remnants of guardians of the galaxy volume one. Um, nowhere. That's what I kept seeing when I, when mm. I was watching this. So just like the way it was built and, and designed, it felt again, not in a bad way. Just, it felt very much like that, that part of the nowhere anyway. So, uh, but yeah, Love the scene. That's where my my head's at. I think Mobius might show up, save the day, and tell him like, "Ah, how'd you guys all here coming to help me anyway?" So that's why you're all here. 
I mean, we're here to stop the timekeepers. I just can't say it out out loud. Yeah, that's my horrible Owen Wilson impersonation. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that's I mean, who knows? But that's kind of where my I have that's where my bet is right at this point, without any spoilers. So we'll see. Well, it's a perfect song choice with "Dark Moon," uh, performed by Bonnie Guitar, written by Ned Miller. A great song to play over the credits because yeah. Th- you don't get much darker of a moon than one that's about to be destroyed. Um, and, and everyone on it is, is about to be killed. So, uh, yeah, I thought I should bark at the moon. Like, no, no, that would have been fine too. Uh, (laughs) I would have totally accepted bark at the moon, but this was dark moon. Um, but you know, this is the end of the episode, but we should talk uh, a little bit about, you know, how do we think they're going to get out of this? I think, one thing I would call out that that I've seen is is some people saying that they think Loki has the time stone that he lifted one of the time stones amongst the many infinity stones that are sitting there at the TVA um and that they believe he was using it cuz there's one shot in per, one part of the one shot in particular where like this tower is falling down and Loki stops it and sends it right back up to where it was and so it's like oh he's reversing time I don't think that's what happened. I think that's just Loki using the other types of magic that he has. If he had a time stone, that would have already solved so many other things that came up in this episode. So this episode doesn't work, and it's like one gigantic plot hole if we find out that Loki's been hanging on to a time stone this entire time, unless the excuse is that he got drunk and he forgot. But I don't really think Loki has a time stone. Um, It would have been too easy of a solution for so many other things. And it's probably too convenient for, you know, to just, oh, I just have this now and, and I, I lifted it and didn't remember until just now. I don't really know that that works and, and it's not what I expect to happen. So how will they get out of this? It's tough because you would think that, I mean, the only other source of, because uh, there's no way off the planet unless they're going to stumble upon another or the moon. There, there's no way off of that unless they're going to stumble upon another one. So you really look at their their only other exit would be a tempad. Well, the one they have is busted. So where would they get another one? Well, the only people that have them are the TVA and the TVA shouldn't really have a reason to go there because the apocalypse still happens. Based on what we're seeing here, everybody's still going to die on uh, everybody's still going to die on lamentus one and it shouldn't really matter that variants are going to die uh sylvie and loki are going to die there because their variants are supposed to be reset anyway so there shouldn't be any variants to detect that would summon the tva to lamentus one but it's still going to be the tva i think because they seem like the the only way that loki and sylvie are going to get off of that moon alive and most likely, I think Mobius is going to show up, maybe B-15 with him, because B-15, Hunter B-15, was uh, same location as uh, Mobius when last we left both of them at, uh, in, at that rocks cart in, uh, in Alabama. So maybe it's them, it's the two of them who show up, or maybe just Mobius on his own. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, as far as how they would find it, why they would go there, we know it wouldn't be because of a variance, because of the whole apocalypse rules, but perhaps there's another way. You know, maybe they access their, even though maybe these tempads are all networked and they're able to access the history of Sylvie's tempad. So they go to Lamentus One because we know it's saved on that tempad. Uh, maybe there's some other way that they find it out that, uh, you know, some other reason that they will eventually tell us. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be the TVA that shows up and that's going to be the way out. And I do think uh, it's 
more likely than not that it's going to be Mobius. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing how Loki looks at Mobius now knowing the truth. Loki knows the truth about Mobius. Mobius doesn't know the truth about Mobius, at least uh, at least as far as we know. And will that change how Loki views Mobius and perhaps being a little more sympathetic towards Mobius? Uh, and, and how would that change their dynamic between these characters? And then, of course, how what else we learn about Sylvie and uh, and her past uh, and her past. And are they going to be able to get through to Mobius to maybe get him to team up with them to take down the timekeepers and free the rest of the time variance authority? So, yeah, I, I think the TVA slash Mobius with a tempad is the way out for Loki and Sylvie. So I, I know it looks like everything's bad right now and they're not going to make it out alive, but we're only halfway through the show. They're not dying in episode four. Yeah, I, I kind of already said what I thought was going to happen. I think uh, regardless of what happens or what I think is going to happen, I think that Mobius will be the one to save them. So I'm going with that. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, but that is where I think we're, we're all done with this spoiler review. We have finished the episode. Um, oh there God. have not been any mid or post credit scenes yet in Loki. Uh, we know we'll, we'll surely get one, at least in episode six. We'll see if yes. we get any, um, in episodes leading up to that. We know in WandaVision, we didn't have to wait until the very last episode, uh, to get one. So hopefully, uh, we will be able to, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll start getting some of those along the way. Although we don't really need to, cause the main story in these episodes is already so good. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter to me, uh, whether we get these tags, uh, in these, although I, you just, you know, for sure, uh, that we are definitely going to get one, uh, and at the very end, but yeah, another really great episode, so excited by the way everything is going and so happy with the way everything is going in this series so far. Um, they have just continued to nail it from from one week to the next. And as amazed as I was that we were already a third of the way through the series uh, last week, Paul, uh, even more amazed that like we're already halfway through this thing. Uh, it's yeah. it's crazy to think of how fast uh, this is progressing, but it's all been good. Like it's yes. not even like. I don't feel like we're being shorted. I don't feel like, I mean, granted the story's not over yet, so maybe I'll feel that way right. uh, when we when we get to the very end. But so far, I think they're doing just a, a terrific job of, of pacing this series and, and really balancing the stuff we want from the MCU, you know, the action, the quips, you know, the more superficial things that are still a big part of the fun. Um, mm -hmm. But the... The storytelling, the character progression, the the development of these characters, the emotion that we're getting to uh, getting the emotional truth that we're getting from these characters, uh, it, it's all it, it's really all working for me at this point. Yeah, absolutely agree, one hundred percent. Same here. And before we wrap this episode up, we have some folks to thank. Thank you so much to Beyond the Ether, to Brian H and Bryce D for being some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, where they have access to exclusive podcasts like Patreon credit scenes, where we're going to be talking about that Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings trailer, as well as Marvel Studios' future on physical media, at least as far as these Disney Plus series are concerned, and plenty more exclusives all available at uh, that address I gave you or the link in our show notes. And then make sure you're following us in those places you can at MCU Fan Show, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? Find me on Twitter at 
Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, find me on YouTube. Please like, like and subscribe my videos over there at The Comic Binge. And also follow my Twitter at Binge Comic as well for that channel. So thank you very much. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next time.